0: God's word together this morning we're, we're reading from the gospel of John chapter 21 and we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 14. It's John chapter 21, reading from verse 1 down to verse 14. And we're going to spend, God willing, the next couple of weeks this Sunday and, God willing, next Sunday uh, looking at these verses uh, and the ones that come after it uh, up to the end of chapter 21 and and think about um, God's grace. And this morning we're thinking of, um, within these verses, we're going to look at how they are a picture of grace uh, to us. Um, Grace, I was once told, Um, A good acronym for it is uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. We don't get what we deserve, but we get what we need. And it's at Christ's expense that God's riches are bestowed upon his people, the grace of God, which is sufficient. So let's read, before I start preaching to you, without reading, let's read from John chapter 21, uh, verse 1 down to verse 14, and that's page 907, or there or thereabouts of the Pew Bible, and it'll be on the screens before you as well. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we will go with you. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen, and may God bless us the reading of his holy word this morning. Many scholars wonder as to why chapter 21 is here. At the end of chapter 20, we have what's kind of like a conclusion or a summary of the, the whole book. At the end of chapter 20, we read that the, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name, which sounds like a, a perfect way to conclude a, a gospel account. But that's not how it finishes. We go on and we read chapter 21. And I think personally, in my wee opinion, the reason for that is, is so that we have an insight into how Jesus deals with Peter. How Jesus deals with Peter. Because we really engage with Peter last in the Gospels. We see his name mentioned a couple of times. We see him um, at the the, the tomb, but we don't really see Peter, who was so instrumental in the Gospels. He was everywhere and doing everything. He was the one that was always speaking out and and doing things. We don't really engage with him that much after the denial of Jesus, before Jesus' crucifixion. We see him mentioned a few times after it, but we don't really See much about Peter. And then what we do see is in Acts 2, when Pentecost comes, we see it's Peter who's standing there preaching. We see Peter write letters to the, 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 the church that, that's emerging and, and Peter being used mightily in the, the explosion of the church. But how do we go then from Jesus being denied by Peter, Peter denying Christ? even though he said he would never do that, to this man standing and and proclaiming from Joel 2 on the day of Pentecost and being used instrumentally by God in the advancement of Christ's cause. How do we go from there to here? Well, I think chapter 21 is the insight into how that happens. And for me, it is a chapter that teaches us about grace. Grace. We see just a really beautiful picture of the grace of God in a really simple way. But yet, it is so profound. But before we do that, let us quickly read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. And again, the words will appear on the screen before you. Um, So we're going to read from Luke chapter 22, verses 54 down to verse 62. And the reason I want to do that is because I want you to see just as to what the the really kind of the last in-depth encounter we had with Peter. What happened? Luke 22. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. The, The person they seized was Jesus. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Women, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I find these verses utterly heartbreaking. Not because I'm disappointed in Peter or because I'm angry or astonished at what he has done, but because I can so identify with him in that moment. Because there's been times where I've denied Christ. There's been times where I should have spoken out and and I didn't. There's been times where I've turned my back on him. And I don't wag the finger at Peter and think, how can you have done something like that? I think, I-, I get it. I've been there. I too have done that. And can you imagine? It says that, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that the, the, the Jesus in that moment, just after Peter has denied him three times, The look that Jesus would have given him. Could you imagine being on the receiving end? Imagine being Peter and seeing the Lord turn to you and look at you. And in that moment, I don't picture Jesus as angry. I don't picture Jesus as disappointed. I I picture Jesus as looking at Peter, saying, You've done it, but it's gonna be okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. Peter denies Christ. He sees the Lord turn and look at him. No wonder Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. That's where Peter has been. And Peter denies Christ and then we don't see that much of him post-resurrection. Um, as I said, there's times where we do see him and we, we read of him being mentioned but then read in Mark chapter 16, and again this is just to give us context as to where Peter is in this moment. Mark 16 verse 7. This is what the angel says just after the resurrection has happened. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's been separated. It's not just go tell the disciples, but it's go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter's mentioned by name there. That he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And then we have the passage we've read this morning where the the disciples are by the sea of Tiberius, and and you need to understand that actually what we've read this morning in John 21, it's a fulfillment of that verse from Mark 16, verse 7. What we've just read is the fulfillment of this. Because this is where Jesus appears to his disciples. The Sea of Tiberius is also, or, and better known as, the Sea of Galilee. It's also known as Lake Gennesaret. It's got three names for one body of water. So when we read of the, the Lake Tiberius or Sea of Tiberias, this is speaking about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Tiberius was the, the Roman name for it. So here we have Jesus fulfilling what the angel have told in Mark 16 verse 7. So let's pause for a moment. What is going on? Why is Peter going fishing? There is lots of stuff that could fill our heads and lots of maybe conclusions that we could jump to. But the the one that we really do know is that what is happening here is the fulfillment of Of Mark 16, verse 7. So Peter turns to the other disciples and he says, I'm going fishing. And they say, We'll come with you. We're going to go too. Why is that such a big thing? Why did Peter go back to fishing? You have to remember that Peter was a fisherman. By trade, that is what he did. He was a fisherman. So was he turning his back on the calling of being a disciple? Was he turning away from Christ and everything about Jesus? Was he bored waiting for Jesus to turn up? Were they just simply hungry and it was a hobby that they continued to do? We, we don't really know as to why they go fishing. But I think the one thing that we can know is that in this moment, God shows grace to Peter. Peter. God shows his grace to Peter. Was Peter turning his back on being a disciple? Was he still separating himself? Is that why the angel said the disciples and Peter? Because it was an insight into how Peter felt that he didn't feel he was qualified anymore because he denied Jesus three times? What we see here, though, is regardless of the motive of Peter, we see God at work. There's something about going back to firsts, isn't there? There's something about going back to the the first moment or the first thing or that first feeling that we had. I'm a bit of a softy, a wee bit of a romantic at heart. And Becca's going to um, kill me for telling you this story this morning. So let's just keep it between us unless she listens back to the podcast. And I apologize, Becca. The first time I saw Becca was when I was leading worship in my Bible college, and um, the, we heard then that the college was going to be closing, so I wanted to, and by this point Becca and I had been dating, I wasn't being a creep, we were dating, we were going out boyfriend and, and girlfriend, and I, I just I just loved that, that there was something special about her and I knew that I wanted to spend my life with her. And our place that we'd met, we heard was going to get demolished. You know, some people meet here or meet there or they meet by a, a landmark. Well, ICC was getting knocked down. I thought, well, that's really sad. There's, we're not going to have a first place anymore. So I decided that I would take a photo of the chair that Becca sat in the first time my eyes saw her. I was at the front leading worship and she was sitting about over here where Billy is sitting and I took a photo from this angle off that chair because it was the first time my eyes had ever seen her and I thought, wow, she is something special. And there's times when I'm scrolling through my phone and I, I, I forget that that photo's there but when I scroll through my phone looking for things and I come across it and I'm just reminded of that sense of feeling that I had the first time my eyes saw her. And I'm sure I'm not alone when we we look at photos or we look at places or we we go through memories on Facebook or whatever it is and we're reminded of a past event that's happened and we just have this really lovely sense kind of come over us or or fill us or or maybe actually it brings other emotions and we begin to weep. But there is something about looking back on a past event that's taken place that impacts us here and now. You might have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews and you see the photo of them and the day they were born and you just, you're reminded of that, that sense of awe that you had the first time your eyes saw them. Even though we're still here in the present, we're reminded of a moment in history through different things in life that impacts us here and now. Why am I saying this? Well, I think that's what's happening in this very passage we've read together this morning. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Peter thinks that it's his day, that he's in control, that it's his decision to go and fill his day with a fishing trip. Whether he was hungry, bored, or lost, or whether he was turning his back on Christ, we don't know his motive. But what we do know is is that God, in his sovereignty, had a moment prepared for Peter that would change his future. And he brings him back to his life-changing moment. There are so many similarities from the passage in John 21 that we've just read with Luke chapter 5. Let me read them for you. This is the first time Peter is called as a disciple. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place. It's the same body of water. It's the same fish they're fishing for. But the fishermen had gone out of, uh, out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out the net down in the deep and let your nets out for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they were enclosed, a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Do you see what God is doing here? Peter might think it's him that's going in a fishing moment for a fishing trip. But God is orchestrating this plan of events so that he can bring Peter back to that first moment where his eyes saw Christ as Lord and Savior in his grace. There's so many similarities. They they caught nothing. They toiled all night. And then they're told to let down your nets on this side and you will catch And then we read in verse 4, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I love this. Friends, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's again something symbolic that we're seeing here. They've fished all night and they've caught nothing. Nothing. In John's gospel, we see so many nighttime encounters and experiences, and they they symbolize something theological for us. Judas leaving to betray Jesus Christ happened at nighttime. The disciples gathered in fear at evening, but so too is morning. And we see here a new season being signified, a new season, a new day breaking on the horizon for the disciples and for Peter. I wonder, though, how could they not have known it was him? They think it's a stranger on the shoreline. And it makes us question, where are the times that that actually we've missed Jesus? That Jesus has turned up, that Jesus has been doing something, Jesus has been speaking, but actually we've missed him we've not recognized him for whatever reason maybe we weren't expecting him or maybe we've not been looking for him or perhaps he turns up in a way that we just didn't expect and this stranger who was no stranger at all he asks him this question in verse 5 children do you have any fish and they answered him no and this word children is, is, a, is a really kind of intimate word that a, that a parent would use with their child. And in the Greek, um, the way that Jesus phrases this question, it expects a negative response. Jesus knows that they've not caught anything. He knows that they don't have any fish. It's like, you know, when it's pouring with rain outside and you go, it's a lovely day outside, isn't it? You're like, well, no, it's not. It's absolutely terrible. We know it's not nice outside. That's why we're seeing it. Jesus knows that they've not caught anything here. The question he asks them anticipates a negative response. He knows they've not got any fish. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Don't you see what God has been doing here? Don't you see what God is doing to prepare the disciples and especially Peter's heart to bring him back just to that very first encounter he had in Luke chapter 5? The grace that we see here is beautiful. Jesus isn't angry or annoyed with him. He just simply wants to remind them of who he is. This morning I wonder, have you forgotten who God is? Have you forgotten that He loves you? Have you forgotten that His grace is sufficient for you? Have you forgotten that He cares for you? Maybe there's times in your prayer life where you've asked that very question. Maybe you prayed that even yesterday. God, do you care? God, where are you? God, what's going on? And I'm sure the disciples would have felt exactly the same. And what we see here is Jesus turn up. And He wants to remind them of who he is. Friends, I truly believe that God at times orchestrates the seasons of life that we're in, not to frustrate us, not to harm us, not to punish us, but because he wants to show us his grace afresh. He wants to do a reset in our lives. He wants to bring us back to that first love, that first encounter that we had with him. Look for his fingerprints in your situation. I promise you that they're there. I promise you that whatever is going on in your life, if you look and you seek after God, you will find him in the midst of it. His fingerprints are there wanting to gather you, wanting to guard you, wanting to hold you, wanting to keep you, wanting to protect you, wanting to sustain you, wanting to carry you through whatever it is you are going through. You have to ask, why did God not let the disciples catch fish during that fishing trip they'd been on in that night? Why did he not let that happen? Was it to punish them or to frustrate them? No. He wanted this moment to happen where Jesus could stand as a stranger on the shoreline and ask that question, have you caught anything? Knowing they would say no. And then he could say, cast your nets on the right-hand side of the boat. And they do that. Just as in Luke five, they, they follow the word of Jesus. They follow what he says. They follow his instruction, and they are overcome with this incredible haul, this incredible catch of fish. And then in verse seven, what we read is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that is that's John. We'll we'll come to that next week in a bit more detail. But when you read in John's gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved is speaking about John. He said to Peter, "It is the Lord." it is the Lord. Friends, your revelation of who Christ is is not something that should be kept to yourself. Your revelation of who Jesus is and what God has done in your life is not to be kept to yourself. It is meant to be shared. It should be shared. What if John didn't proclaim this? What if John had just gone, thought to himself, that's Jesus, that's the Lord, and then gone back to his fishing trip? We might not have had the rest of this story with with Peter and his encounter. I guarantee that there are people in your life who are waiting and who need for you to speak the name of Jesus over them and to them. Because they're going through hard moments in their life. Or maybe I'm sure each one of us have gone through, we've been in this situation where we've heard someone go through something and then you think, oh, it was lucky that such and such took place. And you think to yourself, that wasn't luck, that was God. God intervened there, God did something there. Don't just think that, speak it. Let it be a revelation to that person. That's what John does here. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. And look at how that revelation impacts Peter. Peter, who is just so explosive, and I love him because I probably have, I identify with him a wee bit. Just He doesn't weigh up things. He just jumps head first, two foot into every situation that he goes into and he throws on his robe because he was stripped for work, and he jumps into the sea, and he swims, and he wades, and he treads through the water to get to Jesus. Now, we're told that he put his robe on, and if you're reading that, you think, well, surely that's going to actually hinder him or weigh him down in the water. The reason we're told about that is because it shows us the intention of Peter's heart. In kind of the custom of their day, and especially in a religious context, you couldn't greet someone unless you were properly dressed. That's why Peter puts on his robe. Because it shows us his intention. He's not just going to go and look at Jesus. He's not just going to go and listen or, or, or stand on the periphery of what's happening. It's not the disciples and Peter anymore. Jesus, uh, Peter is dressed. He is ready to encounter. He's ready to greet Jesus. Jesus. And he wades through the water. And the other disciples, they stay in the boat and they get the fish to shore. If I was the other disciples, I'd be annoyed because we're now a man down and all hands would have probably been better on deck. But Peter is in the water and off he goes. And friends, I want to say that's important. It's important. We see the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see John in this gospel. He's really reflective and he contemplates a lot. But Peter doesn't. Peter just, everything's, he just runs runs into it. That's how he responds. And friends, it's important because we aren't all John and we aren't all Peter. And that's okay. Some of us, we're a bit more reflective, a bit more contemplative in how we worship or how we engage with God. And some of us are like Peter and we run headfirst into everything. And there's room for the Johns and there's room for the Peters. And I think that's important because often we look at people and we think, oh, I wish I was more like them. I wish I was more kind of maybe extroverted or outgoing or running into things headfirst. Or I want to lift my hands and worship, but I can't do that. But I still want to worship and reflecting. and That's okay. There's room for Peters and there's room for Johns. The important thing is the revelation that they both had, which is that they knew that Christ was Lord. And just as we close to prepare the scene for next Sunday, verse 9, they get to the land, they see a charcoal fire in place, fish laid out on it with bread. When they get there, breakfast is already prepared for them. Isn't that just such a beautiful picture of god's grace jesus has it all ready. charcoal fires on the fish is already cooking there's bread there it's all provided a beautiful picture of grace a beautiful invitation come and have breakfast he doesn't say why didn't you recognize me how could you not tell it was me come and have breakfast Isn't it beautiful that Christ was concerned for them? He knew that they'd been fishing all night. And actually, the fact that they were hungry was important to Jesus. Jesus cares about the little bits in your life. The things that you think don't matter to him, they matter. And friends, in this encounter, we see a beautiful picture of God's grace. The scene is set, breakfast is ready. We have a gracious invitation, we have a gracious provision, and we have his gracious presence. God meets us where we are, always. He doesn't say, get your stuff together and then come back to the house and have breakfast. The breakfast is there. Come to him as you are. Come, come and spend time with me, Jesus says. Come and enjoy my company. Come and be near me. Come and sit with me. Come and enjoy some breakfast with me. You're a risen Lord and Savior. Come and eat what I have already prepared. And that's grace. He's already got it all sorted out for us. All we have to do is simply come and enjoy. And actually, what we think we bring, our gifts and our talents and our situations, our finances, whatever it is, the things that we think we own and are urge, actually, what we see here is that Jesus has already given the disciples, the fish that he's asking them to bring as well. They wouldn't have had those fish to bring for extra breakfast if Jesus hadn't provided them for him. So the things that we think that God asks us to bring, to give to him, he does do that, but actually they aren't ours. They've already been given to us by him and he wants to use them in his grace. That's why Jesus could say, bring some of those fish that you've caught in the net. Those fish I've also given you, bring them as well. I pray this morning and as we journey into next Sunday as well that that whatever we are, whatever is going on, maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you feel like you've denied Jesus. Maybe you feel like your back's turned a little bit. Maybe you feel cold. Maybe you feel like you're distant. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you feel like like John. Maybe you're a bit more reflective or contemplative. Maybe you're waiting for God to turn up. Maybe you've got that promise that God has said, I'm going to meet you. Just go and I'll come and I'll, I'll turn up. And you're thinking, where are you? What's going on? What's happening? Why is he not here yet? Whatever situation you are in this day, I pray that you know God's grace afresh. For whatever is going on, whatever is happening, wherever you are, his grace is truly sufficient. And he gives each and every one of us that invitation, come, come and enjoy me, he says. Come and have breakfast. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your grace. And Lord, we take a moment here just now just to be still. Lord, you know what's going on in our hearts. You see where we are. You know what we need. And I pray, God, in this moment that in your grace, that you would provide whatever it is that we are lacking. Maybe we feel weak. And God, if that's the case, would strength rise as we wait upon you? Maybe we feel cold and distant or hurt or angry. God, would we just know a real sense of your love in this very moment, full as afresh? God, maybe we feel abandoned. Maybe we feel alone. God, I thank you that you are concerned, not just for the big things in our life, but for the little things as well. May we feel your nearness and your hand upon us. And may we know your grace this day. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.